Hi, I am Marissa, a teen librarian. Hello, I am Mary, a somewhat teen librarian. And we are here to talk about books. What kind of books? Young adult, middle grade, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQIA+, and more. Come jam with us. On the book jam. Now, today we have a super special first ever guest, Kim P. Please say hello. Hello, I'm Kim P. I'm a special librarian, but not because I'm special or fancy, but because I work in a special library. I work at the state library. And I'm here because I read, but I used to be a teen librarian. I was a teen librarian for like seven years. And now I work for teen librarians. I help them. I help them. And that's why I'm here. We appreciate you greatly. I appreciate getting your emails. I appreciate what you're doing in different committees. I know you're, you're at least on two. I know you're probably on a million more. So you are awesome. And we're glad to have you as our awesome, special librarian. I'm super happy to be here. Cool. I always get excited to see what books you're going to put on the summer reading list. Oh, yes. And we've got a new format this year. So keep your eyes peeled. Ooh, fun. Ooh. Hot gas. Okay. <laughs> get your, your sweet library summer reading secret insider information right here, people. You heard it first. Keep your eyes peeled. Very excited. All right. Well, Kim, we brought you here because we know you like to jam about books because we have jammed with you about books. Thank you for coming, Jane, with us. Let's get started. Kim, what book do you want to talk about first today? All right. So my first book today is called Fine Layla. It's by Meg Ellison, published by Skyscrape. And I didn't realize until I was looking that up that it's an imprint of like Amazon. And I'm just going to pretend like I didn't know that. Uh, but the book came out September 1st, 2020. This book is advertised as like grade seven to nine. It could absolutely drop to grade six. It's just all going to sort of depend on their maturity level, like what they're ready for and all that jazz. Our blurb for the inside of Fine Layla, she's on the run and gone viral. Underprivileged and keenly self-aware, SoCal, that's Southern California for anyone who doesn't know, 14-year-old Layla Bailey isn't used to being noticed, except by mean girls who tweet about her raggedy appearance. All she wants to do is indulge in her love of science, protect her vulnerable younger brother, and steer clear of her unstable mother. When a school competition calls for a biome, Leia chooses her own home, a hostile ecosystem of indoor fungi and secret shame. With a borrowed video camera, she captures it all. The mushrooms growing in her brother's dresser, the black mold blooming up the apartment walls, the unmentionable things living in the dead fridge, all the inevitable exotic toxins that are Layla's life when the video goes viral. When Child Protective Services come to call, Layla loses her family and her, her home. Defiant, she must face her bullies and friends alike on her own. Unafraid at last of being seen, Layla accepts the mortifying reality of visibility. Now she has to figure out how to stay whole and stay behind the truth she has shown the world. I don't even remember how I found this book, but I absolutely love it. And I absolutely love it because... It's so real in a way that I think sometimes we don't see in middle grade books. I think sometimes books that are appropriate for this age group feel like in order for it to be appropriate for that age group, it needs to be wrapped up in some neat little bow. And this book throws all of that out the window. The book takes us through Layla's home life. And to plug the trigger warnings here, this book mm. talks about poverty, homelessness, child neglect, drug abuse, bullying. Um, I can't remember, but the mom, um, in addition to the drug abuse, there, there might be some 
some mental instabilities in there, or maybe that was all the drug, like who knows, but the book is heavy, right? Like, like there's a lot to it. And we, we see that not only is her home, this disaster, like they don't open the refrigerator. They can't actually get in through the front door because at one point something overflowed and the door, the wood of the door, uh, swelled, swolled, swolled so much um, that now they can't open it. So they have to climb in through the window just to get into where they live. So not only do you have that aspect, the aspect that sometimes the mom will like leave for days on end before coming back, leaving these children to sort of fend for themselves. And I think her younger brother is like eight, but that has transitioned into what Layla understands about being a growing person entering puberty. Like she didn't, she'd never heard of deodorant until they have that class talk where they're like, this is your body. This is the video. Here's a pack of deodorant and like a toothbrush. She hadn't heard about deodorant until then. Mm. She did not know that shaving under your arms was even a thing to consider. Like you can choose to do it or you cannot choose to do it. Like she took a, a bath at her friend's house and the mom came in to grab her clothes to wash them and made a comment about oh that's cool you're choosing not to shave under your arms and she was like there's a I can I can do that there's a lot there's there's a lot here and ultimately Layla's brother is taken by CPS like when a, a mom sort of like calls them out and instead of going into CPS with her brother she goes on the run like she just leaves and she's like sleeping in cars and She's communicating only via Twitter using the hashtag Fine Layla. Um, people are saying that she's lying. Like they're saying that it's not real. Like it's a, it's a whole thing. It doesn't it doesn't have like a happy bow ending. Like it doesn't have like a Disney moment where she finds a mom and a dad who love her and take like that's not that's not how this goes, right? Like she just it's just, like it's just over. They're like, well, welcome welcome to CPS. Like glad to have you. And I don't, and I just appreciate that because I know kids that have had to go into CPS and, and, you know, have had to leave the homes of their family for one reason or another. And you don't always get that bow. And I think it's important to validate and tell the stories of those kids instead of just kind of the Disney ending, you know, I really loved it. I, I suggest it. I think everyone should read it. Maybe I should put it on the summer reading list or maybe I already did. Who knows? Ooh, more teasers. I love it. <laughs> feel like a long time ago, like having a kid, like someone that was impoverished or someone that came from a low economic standing, I just, I just didn't really have that. So I just love it that the, all these things that existed for forever are now actually being in, being told stories in books. Like there's one I read a couple of years ago, like Paper Things. So when you were talking about this and talking about what books you wanted to read, like I kept thinking of Paper Things by like Jennifer Richard Jacobson, also about a girl and a brother. This one was a girl and her older brother. The mom dies and they're supposed to stay with the guardian. The mom picked out, but then the brother was like, no, I can't stay here. He's just legally of age. And it's like a soft descent into homelessness and like poverty. And I love these stories in the sense of normalizing it and making it okay to talk about. So. I'm glad this book is very good. I also really appreciate that we're getting more books like this because I see it a little bit where I work, where we have a pretty much like a middle class kind of suburban in the country type feel. But there are definitely kids that are struggling um, at home with some of these issues. And I think it's good 
we have more language around it and also like to just take the shame away from it because kids are rough, especially in middle school. And, you know, you get made fun of for wearing hand-me-downs or like, you know, clothes from the thrift store. And that's like so stupid, man. Not everybody has everything. And I think we need to be more empathetic as a culture and a society, particularly right now in a pandemic, because we have even more people are living with the threat of houselessness. So it is, it is bleak. So I'm going to talk about my book now, which uh, goes into a similar subject. Actually, it's the same subject. So I read, uh, this is another middle grade book, The Benefits of Being an Octopus by Anne Braden. Uh, this is a solid middle grade read. I would say grade six or eight. I can see people being like, oh, what about fifth grade? But there is a little bit of like language, like not bad, but you know, some people have like, oh, don't be exposed to that yet. But it's a solid middle grade book. The main character is in seventh grade. It was published in September of 2018 by Sky Pony Press. So I'll just read the book blurb real quick. Uh, some people can do their homework. Some people get to have crushes on boys. Some people have other things they've got to do. Seventh grader Zoe has had her hands full as she takes care of her much younger siblings and after school every day while her mom works at her shift at the pizza parlor. Not that her mom seems to appreciate it. At least there's Lenny, her mom's boyfriend. They all get to live in his nice, clean trailer. At school, Zoe tries to stay under the radar. Her only friend, Fuchsia, has her own issues. And since they're in an entirely different world than the rich kids, it's best if no one notices them. Zoe thinks how much easier everything would be if she were an octopus. Eight arms to do eight things at once. Incredible camouflage ability and steady, unblinking vision. Powerful, protective defenses. Unfortunately, she's not totally invisible, and one of her teachers forces her to join the debate club. Even though Zoe resists participating, debate ultimately leads her to see things in a new way. Her mom's relationship with Lenny, Fuse's situation, and her own place in this town of people who think they're better than her. Can Zoe find the courage to speak up, even if it means risking the most stable home she's ever had? This moving debut explores the cultural divide around class and the gun debate through the eyes of one girl living on the edges of society trying to find her way forward. Uh, this book also was a big award winner. It was NPR's best book of 2018. Main student book award list. There's several different like local, state, and places that that said it was their thing to read. A couple things. Content warning. There are like gunshots. There's like microaggressions and gaslighting of like emotional abuse and some mild language. So, what is this book really about? This book is about a kid finding her voice, harnessing that power of resilience. Like her mom is there. But her mom is very much under the thumb of Lenny, who really isn't a great guy. And he talks down to her mom and like bullies her and stuff. Like he's not physically abusive. He's very much emotionally abusive. And so you've got this whole thing going on at home, right? And she's got to take care of Bryce is four, Aurora is three. So they go to Head Start in kindergarten. And there's baby Hector. She has to pick up at the pizza parlor. And the mom is fortunate that she can have the baby at work, which is unheard of usually. <laughs> A lot of this may imply is her kind of just having this awakening in seventh grade of like who she is, what she wants, and things she doesn't want to deal with anymore. It's interesting too because when I first read this with the the social studies teacher that convinces her to, to join debate, Miss Rochambeau, she is, tries to mentor Zoe, but she's not like a cuddly, feely like mentor that we usually get in middle grade books which she says at one point because she's um the only way zoe can do debate club is if miss ranchambeau will drop her off 
uh, after it's over with because she has to take care of the kids and she has to be able to meet the bus. So she is driving her in the car one day and she's just like, I understand your situation because I had a similar childhood. I see a lot of myself in you. And you're like, oh, okay. This is like the heartwarming moment. And she's like, I'm going to give you some advice. Oh, no, it's not in the car. It's in the classroom. She's like, I'm going to give you some advice, Zoe. And you're not going to like it. So I'm just going to tell this to you. And then I'm going to walk out of the classroom. Suck it up. And then she just leaves her for like 30 minutes. And Zoe's like so mad. And I was just like, that is like the worst advice to give a seventh grader in this situation. But then I was like, well, maybe it's not. Because like the more you think about it, like it kind of hardens Zoe a little bit. And so she's just like, we got to get out of the situation. So instead of being kind of like this passive person who is just taking everything. And the thing about it is, is also, you know, something happens in her that makes her act, which also something happens that also makes her mother act too. So like for Zoe, her catalyst is... Bryce starts talking down to Aurora and like saying really mean things the way Lenny said stuff to her mom. And it's just like, no, this can't happen. I'm not going to let my little brother grow up to be Lenny Jr. This is not acceptable. We've got to fix this. And then also it does get into the talk about DCF because her friend Fuchsia, her mom, I think had drug problems. And so she gets sent to DCF and there's like this tension between Fuchsia's mother and Fuchsia because it's just like, how could you, you know, you, you can't go back there. And Fuchsia's like, I don't want to go back there, but I also don't want to live with my mom right now because she's with a boyfriend who's abusive and we're supposed to move in with him. I don't really feel like, like it's that whole, like I have no power in this situation. And that's a lot of what this book is about. Like a kid who has no power, but then finds their power. It's not just on her. It's everybody working together that kind of gets them out of it a little bit. But much like Kim's book, this book doesn't have like a really happy ending. Things are better for them, but you still know it's going to be a struggle, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the things I did like about this book is how Zoe describes her life. Like she's like the way the author, the words she uses for Zoe's descriptions are so great. Because we have a lot of the octopus analogies, which are great. But also she says things like when Bryce talks down to Arroyo, except what can I actually do? When you're living in a pond of algae, you turn green. It doesn't matter how often someone tells you to stop. When I was like, wow, that's a really powerful analogy for a middle grade book to kind of help understand just the cycle of abuse and how it gets passed down in a family, which I was like, dang. But then also Zoe is like really... She has a different dad from Bryce and Aurora, and then Hector has a different dad from all from the from them. Their mom has just kind of picked like one bad boyfriend from the next. So this is a kid that has spent her whole entire life taking a bad situation and trying to find a little bit of good in it. So you get like descriptions too, like this, which are really funny. She's mad about something. Oh, she doesn't want to deal with her teacher. Miss Rochambeau. And so she ducks out of class and tries to spend the last 10 minutes in the bathroom stall. I think we've all done that at some point in our school career, mm-hmm. which is very relatable. And she's, she's in the bathroom stall and she's looking at the graffiti and she's like, she's like, I slip into the stall that has you're a slut carved on the side. And I used to like to look at it sideways and pretend it's, it says you're a slug and that it was carved by a cockroach who was just trying to help his slug friend who was having some identity issues. It's funny, but also you see this kid who's always trying to like turn it a little bit so it, the situation's just not so horrible. And it's just like, breaks your heart every moment. 
but that was that was my book. But ultimately, I will say this book is about resilience because like she finds her power, the mom finds her power. They they, they make some things happen, um, and so you have a better issue. Uh, but at the same time, it's not the happiest book. But in my book, um, where it sounds like Kim's book DCF is kind of seen as more of a I don't know if a positive, but just something that gets you out of a worse situation into a, maybe a better situation. In this book, DCF is seen as kind of a roll the dice in that you might get with a good family, you might get with a bad family, because uh, you get a lot of that from her best friend's perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I like that you brought that up. So like the thing is, in my book, DCF, it plays sort of a passive role. Like they're, they, they kind of show up because the girl's best friend's mom was always like really new right like this girl was taking baths at their house and she was doing her laundry like this mom was not dumb right and knew that something was going on but dcf they just kind of showed up they took the kid her younger brother and then i think she turned her no okay so that that's a spoiler i'm gonna leave alone like like how she winds up with dcf (laughs) but what we do see is sort of the ageism-ish. And as teen librarians, we all know the the difference between the way teens or tweens are treated and the way that like young children are treated through all facets of life, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And so in this, like when Layla is first taken by DCF, she's taken to a foster home with like really like pleasant people. Like they're, they're not in the book for very long. They maybe get like a chapter or two. Um, but you, her brother is also is in a different foster home. So I think she she gets a visit from her brother, and you can see in that short period of time how he's really grown, and how his whole person. I think he had a lisp or something, and even that's improved. He he has really blossomed in his short time in this foster home. But Layla doesn't get to stay with the people that she's with, even though they seem to want her to stay. Like like the mom like cried. And she's put in a group home. And the feel of the book is that these foster homes are more for the young, cute, adorable mm-hmm. seven or eight-year-olds like her brother and not for preteens. I think at one point she threw like a lamp at her mom or something like that, are not for like problematic teens or something like that. We do see a little bit of that and it's not spelled out, but like the feeling is really, you know, we all know, like when you can, you can read between the lines and see what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just fascinating from a book perspective. It's, it's trash in real life, but from a book perspective, it's like really fascinating to read about. No, I get that. And then what's also weird about this book is that it has this whole gun debate in the middle of it, which you're like, what the heck, where the heck did this come from? Did it make sense to have it in the book? It did actually because it, it does tie into the plot, and I don't want to spoil that and tell you why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like gunshots are heard in the parking lot, and so the school goes on lockdown, and then nobody knows who did it. There's this assumption from the rich kids that it's this other kid that lives in the trailer park where Zoe lives, Silas. And it turns out Silas is a really good kid, and like I don't think his mom's around. It's just him and his dad, and you get the sense that like he and his dad have a you know they're poor, but they have a happy life. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. um, his dad spends time with them. They like to listen to classic rock, and they go hunting together. And he has a camouflage jacket, and so there's this assumption. You can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. You've worked with teenagers. There's this assumption from like all like the rich kids that oh Silas is the one that shot the gun because he was hunting, and Silas is like not he's actually like this really sweet sensitive kid so he just goes like all stone face and just goes mute and stops talking 
Um, at one point, Zoe catches up with them and she's like, I know you didn't do it. I know you didn't do it. I know you wouldn't do something like that. I'm so sorry. I should have said something earlier. And there is like a come to Jesus moment with um, her and the stuck up kids on her debate club who also one of them is like been like her longtime bully at the beginning of the book. She's working on her debate topic for social studies classes before she's invited into debate club. And you have to like talk about an animal and its characteristics and why it's the best animal ever. And so she does hers on the octopus and she knows so many facts about it um, from getting a video from the library when they were younger. She just loves them. And so she's just like comes alive with this assignment, but then she doesn't say anything in class because she gets like shy and also the last year, like there's one kid that's always just like, oh, well, Zoe never turns in her homework. Oh my God, Zoe turned in her homework. Should we like have a parade? Like stuff like that. That's just not cool. That can take a kid who's like on the edge and just kind of push him farther back. And it's just so, uh. so of course that kid's on the debate team. <laughs> so Zoe like just basically like lets them have it. Cause they're talking about, and they go really hard on like the pro gun and the, the anti gun. So it's like guns are evil. And then, no, guns are the best thing ever. Like, you're a superhero with a gun. And, I mean, they don't say superhero, but it's that whole, like, NRA line. Mm. And she just, like, explodes. And she's like, this is not a black and white issue. There's a lot of in-betweens to it. And you people, because your lives are so easy, don't understand the complications of other people's lives. And just because you have a gun doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's a tool. It's the person behind it that makes the intent bad. And she says it in a little bit simpler words because she's seventh grade. She just like, just comes in, feel fire, a woman scorned, and then just like turns on her heel, runs out the door. And everybody is just like, what? But you get a good resolution with one of the the rich kids later on who's really popular. And he's just like, I'm sorry, Zoe. I felt really bad about that. Because she also calls him out, you know, picking on Silas. She's like, just because you have a camouflage jacket doesn't mean that you go around killing people. Jeez. <laughs> Calm down, y'all. So you get a good resolution with it. So yeah, so it does kind of like tie into it, but it's it's interesting because I feel like most of the books that we get about school shootings, it's the it is its own genre. Whereas this is just oh, this is just something that happens to happen that's woven into the day in the life of this kid, which I thought was a little different. Mm-hmm. Does this book have a school shooting in it? Well, that's the the gunshots are fired in the parking lot. Oh, school. Oh, okay. but, I was thinking, was- but no one's no one's actually hurt. Okay. I know, because that's such a controversial thing, and potentially, like, I, don't, I mean, I'm not an author. I don't aspire to write. I just love reading, consuming, and telling you about it. Um, <laughs> Why wow, we have this. Even, like, because all of us have been on a nutmeg committee for, like, CT, and, like, even some of the books that we've read that have to do with school shootings, like, I feel like that's already a controversial topic of, like, depending on how they deal with it and what they do with it. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, so it's hard to focus on hot-button topics that you're like, do you even want to go in there to start opening that can of worms to get that opinion? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, if this is, I, I hate to say, I feel like at this point, all 50 states have had some sort of like major school shooting, but, you know, Connecticut, we've had our own, you know, trauma. So, yeah. And I don't think that like we should ignore these books, especially like this one, because we're getting a lot of issues in one book, but it also is giving kids a lot of language to talk about things too. Mm-hmm. I don't think we shouldn't talk about it because, I mean, I know where I work in Colchester. We had something happen. It wasn't in Connecticut. There was like another school shooting. I hate to say I can't remember which one. It's sad. And I remember talking to the kids that were in eighth grade and they were talking about how like they get anxious about it. And like it is something that really bothers them. They're like, you know, we've been doing drills since we were in elementary school. So we know all the things we're supposed to do. But like it doesn't 
it doesn't really help alleviate it because if someone has a gun, like someone has a gun. And what if we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Wow. Because it was the first time I'd actually had a conversation with teens about it. And I was just like, geez. So, I mean, the anxiety is already there, whether or not you give them a book to read about it or not. So, I don't know. I'm always about like, let's talk about the hard thing. But I'm also the person that's like, let's do the hard thing. (laughs) I think that you can usually get good resolutions if you allow kids to talk about stuff and really kind of work it out and use their words. I love it. That's for real, for real. And like weirdly pivots into my book. Oh, Kim. Go for it. Sort of. (laughs) What's your second book choice? Please tell us. All right. So my second book choice is very polar opposite. It's called Full Disclosure. It's by Cameron Garrett, published by Alfred Knopf. Knopf. Um, which is an imprint of Random House. Uh, This book came out October 29th, 2019. It's mostly appropriate for the high school level um, because of, because there, there's, there's lots of talk about lots of sex talk and it's just there and I'm not mad about it, but different people, different shows for different folks. Here is the blurb. Simone Garcia Hampton is starting over at a new school, and this time will things will be different. She's making real friends, making a name for herself, a student director of Rent, and making googly eyes at Miles, the guy who makes her feel like she's the most important person in the room. The last thing she wants is for word to get out that she's HIV positive, because last time, the backlash nearly crushed her. When Simone and Miles start dating for real, she's introduced to a whole new world of longing. As sex becomes more and more of a possibility, Simone knows she has to tell him she's positive, but she's terrified of how he'll react. Then she finds an anonymous note in her locker, one that threatens to expose her if she doesn't break up with Miles. As much as Simone wants to keep her secret and keep her new life intact, she knows there's only one option, taking charge and controlling her own truth, even if that means doing what she fears most and risking her chance at first love. I love this book. So uh, as the description has said, there is lots of talk about, well, not not like lots and lots, but there <laughs> is very clear and realistic and necessary talk about sex in this book. There are some sexual acts in this book that are all consensual. So I'm not, I like that you guys use content warning just or content notifications just to kind of let people know what's going on in the book. So if there's someone who does not feel comfortable yet, like if that's not where their mindset is, then this might not be the book for you. This book also has bullying, blackmail, hence the letter found in her locker. There's a bit here. Why do I like this book? So first of all, let me fully disclose to the people who are listening to this that don't know me. I am black. I am very black. I am blackity black, black, black. So (laughs) let's just start there. And so is the main character of this book. So the first thing that drew me to the book was that on the cover, you've got a black, dark skinned girl with a 4C fro. None of of those beautifully organized like spiral curls that flow. That's not her life. That's not my life. So when I saw the cover of this book, I was like, I don't care what it's about. I'm going to read it. Lucky for me, it was also a really good book. I say that because one of the things that I love about this book is that we have different rep- different Black representation, right? I always feel like that, like what I'm saying is super taboo as a librarian in 2021, but I don't care. 
I love Angie Thomas. I love Nick Stone. I love Jason Reynolds. I love Walter Jean Myers. I love their books. They are absolutely necessary. They are unflinching views of racial inequity, violence in the Black community, structural racism. And I will advocate for those books until the day that I die because they're necessary and it, it, you know, it fits within the mirrors, windows and sliding glass doors. What I think is also important is boosting and advocating various black stories. This girl, I do not remember where this book takes place because I'm horrible. Simone does not live in, in, in the typical urban community that we might see in other books. You, you can't, you can't be a person of color and have that not play a large part in your day to day life. In this book, she is a, she is a black girl, but we are not telling a black story, if that makes sense, sort of in the Mm -hmm. same way that you get from like Andrew Thomas or Nick Stone. And I love that this is a book that helps to expand the views of the black experience, basically this is a girl. She's got two dads. She's got HIV. She's student directing rent. She is feeling this boy. She is trying to figure out how sex goes. She is just living her best life, right? Like, like her, her biggest concern is like the threatening note in this locker, not what's happening on the street corner. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like a different, it's opening a different door in the black experience. And I like that. And I wish more books like this, like this got as much hype as the, the Angie Thomases and Nick Stones and Jason Reynolds of the world. But unfortunately they don't. And that's like a whole separate podcast. But um, mm-hmm. I loved being able to see this experience. I don't know anything about being HIV positive aside from, from what we learned in school. Um, and it was just really fascinating to um, read her experience and how she walked, walks through life and the character Simone in this book, um, her, her viral load is, is undetectable, which means that she in technically can't while her viral load is undetectable. If I'm explaining this right, if I'm not, please correct me um, who I, you do, or I don't know, someone on Twitter who's talking about your thing, but she can't, she can't spread HIV while her viral load is undetectable. At least that's what I understood in the book. Well, yeah, there's also like meds you can right. take too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're the other partner. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I, up until when I read this book, I had never read a book with a teen, a modern teenager who was living with HIV ever, ever. Maybe something, if you read something during sort of like the AIDS uh, epidemic, but like I hadn't read anything that was modern. So it was, it's another representation factor, something that we've talked about a lot and you all have talked about a lot in your other podcast episodes because I have listened to them. Um, So I really (laughs) loved this. And I, I mean, it's, it's more than that, right? It's just sort of like watching her experience first love and, and watching her, understand what it not only what it means to have sex for the first time because she is HIV but to understand what it means to have sex for the first time because she just never had sex before right so even still the book manages to to keep her a teen she's a teen girl doing her best like living her best life trying to make sure that rent goes off really well and I I just I really appreciated that I loved that it existed I loved her whole her family her home life her dads were bombed um, she also, there's, she's a brother, one of her dads, one of her dads has another, has a son, the son before her. Um, 
And um, she, they didn't have a super close relationship growing up, but the book, the book sort of, we watched their relationship grow. And I am many years older than my siblings. I'm nine and 12 years older than my siblings. So just by the very nature of time, you know, we never had the closest experience the, the the closest relationship because when I was going to college, my sister, who's my youngest sibling, was going to kindergarten. So like, you don't have a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> so I I like books like that where we kind of see sibling relationship grow, where we see different portrayals of blackness. I probably wrote down a whole bunch of other stuff in my notes that I don't remember what they are. But this is a great book. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to tell you who leaves a note in her locker. But what I will tell you because you it happens not late in the book is that this person does out her Mm. so this person outs her i probably on twitter because it's always on twitter and she then has to stand up for herself and advocate for herself and she shouldn't have to explain to a room full of adults how how hiv works and that she isn't going to spread it to their children by sitting next to them in spanish class she should not have to be the one to to do that, but she finds her voice and she stands up and she advocates for herself and she doesn't leave town like she did when she was outed at her previous school. She fights back and she does it beautifully. And it's a fantastic, amazing book. I also won't tell you what happens with the boy because you've got to read it to find out. I bought it at my last library. I don't know if I have it up at the state. If I don't, shame on me, I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> But it's a really fantastic book. And I, I just think we need to to see more portrayals of the Black experience. And I, I want to uplift them and hype them the same way, you know, I'm Alfonso Jones, Dear Mark, you know, like all of that stuff is hyped as well. So I love it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why I love Slay yes. so much is because yes. I, I read it. So, okay, so fun story. Mary sees the book, thinks it's like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer like, spinoff thing, and like doesn't pay attention because I was in the middle of my first Nutmeg Committee, I think, when it came out. And then something happens where I'm co-chairing my committee last year, and I was like, I need to read a book. I was trying to find other books, and then I was like, I feel like this is probably going to be on the high school level, but read it anyway because my heart needs it. Because I had seen you mm-hmm. talk about it, Kim, on mm-hmm. Twitter, and I was like, what? give me this book. And then I got mad because like, there's like somebody I follow who works at like an independent bookstore and she's a huge comics fan. Um, she's a huge X-Men stan. So I'm always yes. like, yes, tell me, tell me what you're going to talk about. Um, but she was complaining a couple like months ago about like when books like will use a certain book to compare the book to try and sell mm. the book. And I hated, I felt like it did slay dirty when it like, compared it to Ready Player One. So I'm like, no, this is so much better mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> Um, and also like the whole, the whole game system was completely different mm-hmm. from Ready Player One. But I also love that like the main character's blackness is different from her little sister's mm-hmm. blackness, from her boyfriends, from her moms, from her dads. And it really kind of exactly what you're talking about that, you know, there's so much nuance to the black experience. And we just, I just want more of that so mm-hmm. much. So I'm like hype because I'm going to read this book because you sold me, Kim. Kim's like, thank you. My work here is done. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. You can't see, but I'm bowing to the air. (laughs) I love it. Well, I mean, it's something that speaks to 
what we've all probably read new kid by jerry craft because yep. obviously at this point how, how can't yep. you um but one moment with all the microaggressions they talk in there about if again and being a i'm not a school librarian i'm a public librarian but but having that like hey there's a black in front of you are you going to give him the magical magic wand wizard thing or the gritty mcgritty urban dark mm-hmm. story and that's something that like well could you still offer them the fit it's like do, don't feel like you have to do that but you want the book to go out but just you know, it's acknowledging it and being like, no, you can, you can have more than a, an experience of the streets, which is a valid experience, but also you can do more. You could read more. You could, you could read fantasy, McFantasy or gritty McGritty. Mm-hmm. It, you can fit into these worlds. And so there just needs to be more books. I'm glad there is what there is, but like one of the books, I don't, I forget if we talked about it officially, but you should see me in a crown. I think I did. I think I talked about it here. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I did also, yeah. which reminded me like it reminded me of Kim's cover of full disclosure. It feels like the girl didn't, it's a lighter skin girl, but I feel like the girl turned around a little bit. Like full disclosure is like a mood. It's got blue. <laughs> Somehow it's like rainbow iridescence over a girl in the tank top. And I love it. Cause it's showing her skin being like, yeah, this is my dark skin. This is my natural hair. And I was like, Ooh, I need to, like, I like, I'm into this versus like, I feel like the girl turns around and you should see me in a crown. And she's like, just a joyful smile, but still in that blue purple kind of tones. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, she just put her black shirt on a little over it. But like, I still feel like joy, but it's why, why can't you be more than, than what has been available? So yes, no, mm-hmm. I love it. I'm excited. Um, and that kind of segues into my next book, which I, I'll talk, I'll talk about my next book, but then I'm going to like, also I'm going to talk about good and bad books a little bit too. So Yeah. <laughs> And I was going to be like, spill that tea, because I'm sure I have opinions on that too. Oh, I know you will. So please. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, not in a bad way. I'm like, no, no, no. This is the whole point. We love, I love, I love, it's one thing I miss about with less teen patrons around. I can't talk as much books. Yes, virtual programming is great, but like, I just build up like a little boiling teapot. Like, I just need to talk about these things. Hi. I know. I I will say I'm a little over eager when we have a kid come in being like, I'm looking for a book, but I don't know what on, but on this subject. And I'm like, Oh, really? Like, I freaked out. I think I almost scared a kid because he was looking for books on survival stories. And I gave him, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It was a big book that came out like two or three summers ago. It's about a girl who's disabled. There's a dog. Um, she has to find her way in the wilderness. It's her dad's dog. It has a Who's great cover. Dog? <laughs> Sorry, you're like, there's a dog. It's her dad's dog. The dog does all the things. I have no idea what you're talking about. But I have no I idea what you're know. talking about. Yeah, we'll put it in the note. We'll, I'll make you sure you remember it at some point. I'll put it in the note. Yeah, it, but I, I was like, I can find it. And so I, I managed to like do Google Library Foo and I found it and I book talked it to him. And I was also proud because I'm giving a teenage boy a book with a girl protagonist. But he really just wanted books on like wilderness survival and he wanted something newer because he'd been reading like older books. And I was like, try this. Um, if you don't like it, come back. I'll find some other stuff for you. Because I was like, I can always just give him John Crackers and th- into thin air. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted, to, I wanted to try my experiment. And I see him a week later. He's like, I'm a slow reader, but this book is so good. I was like, yes. I love it. Anyway. I love victory so, moment. yes. Right. Yes. But I was free. I scared him just because what you're talking about. Like, we're going a little too hard right yeah. now because we're, our extrovert book talks are not quite what they yeah. want. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of pent up librarian energy. Um, like, oh, the books. Anyway, hello. So my, when Kim talked about full disclosure and I thought about where could I go to like recommend a similar but different kind of book, um, I thought about a book that I had listened to this past um, summer, which is Like a Love Story 
by Abdi Nazimian. So this one came out June 4th, uh, 2019. Um, I'd say it's for grades eight plus. Some publishers are a little skewed on where they think it should be for high school only. I think grade eight plus because uh, the publisher is Balzer and Bray, which is under the umbrella of HarperCollins. I'm also going to say the author's Instagram here. I know usually we tag it. Abdaddy, A-B-D-A-D-D-Y. Go here. You're, if you want beautiful, joyful, fun stuff, go follow them on Instagram. Just saying. We'll talk about it in a minute. Why? This book was a Stonewall Book Award honor winner in 2020. So the publisher official blurb. So what they officially want you to know about this book is it's 1989 in New York City. And for three teens, the world is changing. Reza is an Iranian boy who has just moved to the city with his mother to live with his stepfather and stepbrother. He is terrified that someone will guess the truth that he can barely acknowledge about himself. Reza knows that he's gay, but all he knows of gay life are the media's images of men dying of AIDS. Now there's Judy is an aspiring fashion designer who worships her uncle Stephen, a gay man with AIDS, who devotes his time to activism as a member of ACT UP. Judy has never imagined finding romance until she falls for Reza and they start dating. Then there's Art. Art is Judy's best friend. They're school's only out and proud teen. He'll never be who his conservative parents want him to be, so he rebels by documenting the AIDS crisis through his photographs. As Reza and Art grow closer, Reza struggles to find a way out of his deception that won't break Judy's heart and destroy the most meaningful friendship he's ever known. It's a lot. It's great. So content warnings, obviously this has tons of homophobia. Uh, It has HIV, it has AIDS, and there's definitely bullying um, of all sorts and fun thoughts. So what is this book about? On the surface level, it's a book about three teens. It is first person narrative, but the book spends the most time on Reza. Um, the author himself is a gay Iranian American author. So this is, I think, I feel like it's not purely autobiographical, but it's very much the book I think he wished could have been out for him at the time. This deals with a lot of topics like um, family, because he has his mom, he has a new family, a rich stepdad and stepbrother, and all the connotations of like class, of like, oh, you came from a poor background and now you're like going to a private boarding school because like new stepdad's rich money. And really, it's struggling to understand and to be accepted culturally in high school. At the first day of school, no matter where you come from, it's can you can you find that friend? Can you make that human connection? And Reza, when we meet him, he is he is pure terrified like he just is terrified he's attracted to men but he but imagine knowing nothing and the only thing you know is like magazine covers and seeing like aids and just saying aids equals death so being gay equals death so that's just his only connections but he has this truth about himself that he knows he can't share i will say a lot of books like a lot of my teens and our book talks talk about oh my gosh miss marissa the tropes the tropes of it all um so yes this does kind of have a love triangle but this actually is more of a story about friendship that isn't shattered by betrayal versus like how dare you love him and i love him it's kind of more than that so i think it out outgrows the trope in a beautiful makes wrecks you kind of way it's really about two friends might grow into the people that they're meant to be. So it's about the late 80s. It's not actually really romanticized, but it's not also only tragic. It has both. The other big, huge thing is, is that there was a fear, a fear of being remembered. And this is something I pulled from one of like the author quotes or author interviews is the author seemed to be making a point about the way history can steamroll over anyone who falls outside of the norm. So this is a quote from the book, our history, who we are. They won't teach it in schools. They don't want us to have a history. They don't see us is something the author actually wrote. They don't know we are another country with invisible borders and that we are people. 
So this book is awesome. It's very like pick a random quote and like lay some some smack down. Um, one of my favorite some of my favorites are hate is just fear and drag. Love it. Uh, another um it's, it's just that's why i'm like you have to read this and i listened to the audiobook which was done fantastically they did a really good job with all the voices and uncle St- oh, we'll get to uncle steven the mo- another quote that i love is the most important four-letter word in our history will always be love love is our legacy which is super this book is all about love and the most positive relationships you know of the adults Secondary characters really are the gay relationships. So when I come down to why I like this book, yes, I'll try and limit myself to a couple of things. It's the, really the secondary characters, um, the gay character, the gay family they have, all different kinds of people in New York at this time. It's just so raw and it's so real. Like Uncle Steven and his partner are like goals. Like they're just beyond the love, the ugh, and like the time. But still, I if I feel like going to it, I'm just going to start bawling, and I won't do that. It's a nurturing, beautiful guidance because Art doesn't really have, like, his parents just don't know what to do with him. They're like, we want you to, like, go put on a sweater set and go play tennis, son. Like, Ooh. that's all that they can imagine for him. Like, can't imagine anything else. And Reza's family is, like, Iranian, and they can't imagine, like, he could have, air quote, he doesn't look like he's gay, quote. You know what I mean? Like, they, uh, he could have passed. He could have uh, passed as he was, but he has this truth. But he, but can he come out? Can he be true to it? And will he be cut off by his family? No spoilers. It's can you, you know, can you do it? And can you find that human connection? And this book is full of hormones and it's full of like wanting to love somebody. And even Judy who loves Reza and this whole triangle, like everyone loves each other, but it's complicated. Um, <laughs> everyone just wants love. And, and Judy, you think, Oh, well she has this awesome uncle. Everyone wants to be their own uncle. She is not like traditional beauty. She just wants to be a fashion designer. It's kind of like surviving high school to get to that awesome future. If you can just make it through. It's so good. But I keep coming back to Judy's uncle. Steven is, it's just, you have them and they're a lost generation, but it's in, they're in their prime. So you kind of get to see them being joyful and beautiful. And the last main thing I'm going to say mainly, I know I don't make me bar to be a liar is music. This book is all about the music. So if you, you're going to want to listen to it, you're going to have to listen to music to this one, even whether you lived through the eighties or whether you didn't, it's a huge tribute to gay culture icons because you can find Madonna, Sylvester, Diana, Judy, Debbie, Jimmy Somerville, Grace, Joan, and Donna hanging out in like a love story and the author actually made his own spotify playlist so <gasps> you already have it. yes nice you have it made for you i love it love it when they do go that. to his his uh instagram you you just feel the 80s you feel there's so much madonna you don't even know um it's so good it's just a love letter to queerness to activism to self-expression and to the people who love despite scorn and condemnation and the war that they wage to simply make lives with the people they love and yes it's a love letter to madonna there's so much madonna okay that's my main gist mary kim what do you think yeah yes i want to read you should you should read this book it's so good i know i definitely i think it's on i think i did it through i forget if it was hoopla or overdrive but honestly everybody everybody should do this i feel like all of a sudden see i thought i was done talking but <laughs> there are I mean, I didn't. Too. There it's are, funny. there, there wasn't a ton of books. I feel like on on HIV and AIDS asterisk mm-hmm. in the modern sense. But all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now more coming out. Mm-hmm. But I will say, going back, because I couldn't quite remember the name of it. Because when I started in the book, the book selling game in like 2005, there was this terrible. Sorry, not sorry. 
Go Ask Alice by edited by Beatrice Sparse, aka she wrote it. She also came out with It Happened to Nancy by Anonymous Teenager, a true story from her diary by Beatrice Sparks. It's her, yeah. So in, in the old context of like, this was like 2004-ish, it came out, a 14-year-old girl is date raped uh, and got HIV and then she died. So like- Oh my God. So, yeah, it. it's like trauma porn. It. But like the fact that we, that we've it. come so, so far, much. so I say that in a way that like, you know, it's, and they couldn't even say that this is a fictional story. They had to say this is, this is like edited and compiled from someone's found diary. I don't know why, why I did that man voice, but like- <laughs> Oh, so I'm so glad we're so far from that. But but this is like this is a book you wish you probably could have had, and it explains HIV AIDS. It does this, and it's hopeful, but it's also realistic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm so glad we're so far from from that of just like that disaster, or else you will die. You know, and there's books like Kim's book, Full Disclosure, like that we have this. And yes, I feel like a lot of people are going to write historical fiction talking about HIV and AIDS because it's I don't know maybe safer. But I love that full disclosure exists, examining it in a modern contemporary lens mm-hmm. um, as well. Like it's a good balance. And like, I don't want one not to exist. I want them all right. to exist. I want there to be so many things that exist. Well, and that she was born with it, right? I think that's also something that we forget that like HIV or AIDS is something that you can be born. Like it's not because you like, like the other book that you mentioned, like where, where someone is like sexually assaulted and they like wake up with HIV or because someone's like shooting up like in the bathroom, like sometimes you're just born and this is just sort of your lot. And you, you know, hopefully you have a lovely support system that can help you handle it like the character in my book. But it's almost I almost think about this sort of in the same way that we talk about like the native community, where we pretend like it doesn't exist anymore. Like we pretend like the idea of someone having HIV is was then and like that's we're done with that now just like the fact that the native community we learned about it in history class and now there's no more and that's not true like that's not true and it's caused so (laughs) many problems having that mindset yeah i love that these things exist yeah there's definitely like a real like myth about hiv that is so stupid and i blame how can i explain this okay uh part of it but like we don't Okay, first off, abstinence education doesn't work. Nope. I don't really feel like we have as many PSAs about HIV infection as probably we I think I'm the oldest out of the three of us, but I'm sure like all all of us had some of it like on like mm-hmm. television at some point. I am the after school special <laughs> generation. So we sure as heck had an after school special about it that was yeah. pretty bleak. But then like for so long it was like the gay mm-hmm. disease and whatnot and then all of a sudden oh wait maybe it's an everybody disease oh it's not a problem anymore and that's not true i actually read a new york times article from last year talking about how the hiv crisis is still a crisis for black and yes. brown communities because those are often the communities that we know have the largest disparities in healthcare, mm-hmm. and that you're a lot better off kind of across the board if you're like in an urban place like new york city or san francisco HIV has been around in those communities for so long that there are structures in place to help you. But if you are a queer black kid in rural Alabama, you are SOL because the closest hospital that you can go to might be like two to four hours away. And then what if you don't have transportation? So it's like this whole like problem of, you know, healthcare in America is garbage, essentially. Thanks structural racism, because that's part of it. So it's one of those things that I'm glad that we're having more books that talk about it because it's mm-hmm. such a problem. Like we just, it's, we, 
don't talk about it. And I'm like, why are we not talking about it? And like, I read the article and I got so pissed and I got pissed off at myself because I'm like, this is very obvious. How have you never thought about this before? So I remember like watching and the band played on when I was in high school and then reading the book and just being so mad. And I wasn't even out yet. And then I came out and I'm like, now I'm even more mad just about how gay people were treated with HIV. Also, I will say with like lit- in adult fiction, like I stayed away from like gay fiction for the longest time because they were just like, Usually it was a very sad story about someone that had HIV and died. And I was just like, I can't always do this. I cannot have all of my queer stories being about people who suffer and die because that's like torture porn for straight people, essentially, even if they make like the Booker Prize or the National Book Award. And that's a great 80s historical fiction that deals with HIV in the UK. But at the same time, I was like, this book mm-hmm. is so sad. <laughs> I can't do this to myself. But I do think we've had an explosion of while, like, Kim, you're talking about we're getting more nuance mm-hmm. with Black stories. We're definitely starting to get more nuance with LGBT stories as well. And that, like, did you know you can read a book about two people just being queer and happy? <laughs> OMG. Yes. Oh, um, my God. Like, that is literally, that's what I hunt the shelves for. I'm like, can I find a book where no one gets killed or assaulted by the police? And everyone's black. Like, can I find it? Can I find one where people are black and live in like the suburbs? Because like I was born in Oakland, California. Google it and look at the stats. But then like I spent all my middle school and teen years in Groton, the submarine capital of the world, (laughs) in, in the Navy housing version of suburbia where there were two housing designs and like five coats of paint growing up. It was like, here, read Monster by Walter Dean Myers. And I'm like, but I don't want to because that's not my life anymore. I'm in Groton. Like, <laughs> like, I'm surrounded. But we come in when the streetlights come on and no one's concerned. And the only rule is if you go into someone's house for water, call us because cell phones didn't exist. <laughs> Actually, you drink water from the hose, hose water. <gasps> like, wait, like you guys, you guys have to remember. I think I'm the youngest one here. So you have to remember hose water. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. Oh, totally. Hose water is the staple of my childhood. Well, the poor teens right now are really confused. Like, hose water? Why didn't you just call your mom on your on your cell phone? Because it didn't exist. Because they locked you out of the house and said, go play outside nope. and don't come back nope. to the house. And you came in the house, you have to stay in the house, but like your gang of bike riding friends were like waiting for you at the end of the driveway. But like, I could not, I could not find that story. Like, th- like this story that I just described with hose water and like all your friends on a bike, like, I couldn't find it. All I found was monster. We're like some teen boy is on trial. It's heart wrenching. So yeah, I love that we have more of this nuance. And I love that we're able to see that like one race or one type of person, they're not a monolith. There are layers and we deserve to read about our layers. Yes. It's funny that you bring up monster because my brother was a uh, high school teacher and he was working in a predominantly black school. And he was like, like two years ago he's like have you read monster and i was like oh god we're gonna have to have that conversation and so he did a lot of work to like get himself to i guess you would say like more woke and realizing things were different for like kids that he was teaching as opposed to like how he grew up and then like he had a lot of these really great epiphanies and whatnot and i was like cool and he was in the middle of all that cool i'm gonna give you a book list and i would like you to read these books because i don't want your kids to constantly have to read monster i want you to be able to give them mm-hmm. some other options so i was like there's there's a reason why black panther oh. is so big right now it's because 
kids get to see themselves mm-hmm. as a superhero. And like you see that with your kids, but also when you give them monster, you, you don't want to give them total mm-hmm. desolation at the same time. Like there's a lot there. And so like we had some good talks about it. And it's so funny because we would talk about it and occasionally he'd be like, have you read monster? And I'm like, we're not having this conversation again because it's just siblings. And I'd be like, oh, you should read this. And like when I read Slay, he's like, oh, that sounds really good. I was like, you got to read it. You just want kids to be able to see themselves in books and like see mm-hmm. different options for themselves. And it's just so great. I was reading the new Robin Tally, which I'm not going to say the name of it because, A, I'm going to review it uh, probably in February because I'm sure we'll do a romance aspect. Um, and B, because I constantly mess up the title. Like we were oh, talking yeah. about messing up titles oh, earlier. And like, no. I never get it right because my brain has it like one way and that's not how it is. But like, it's just this great, like, teenage love story that happens in a theater department and this one kid who who has like two gay dads and she's the stage manager for like the Les Mes um, production and like all these things keep going wrong and they're like it's you know it's is it her fault is she cursed is she not cursed and so it's just like a great like rom-com it's like like you like you know and I'm just like yes this exists Netflix please make this a movie although did you hear we're getting the witch boy no really no yeah, Netflix is optioned The Witch Boy, and they're going to produce it, which was one of my favorite graphic novels from like three years ago. Mm. I know. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I love that it's going to be going to that format. Hopefully, I'm always like, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. I know. And it's just like, are they going to do the first book? Or are they going to do like all of them since there's like two or three now? Hopefully, they don't you know, mess it up. I feel, oh, on a whole subgenre, I feel like there's so many teen productions like in the drama department like i am but like shaking it up a little bit i know we talked about the different ones like obviously full disclosure she's in that there's one i'm excited to read it's not a, I can, i'm gonna say the name because it hasn't doesn't come out till march 9th but it's um can't take that away by steven salvatore i've been following him on instagram <laughs> love it <laughs> but this is about a gender gender queer teen who finds courage to stand up and speak out for equality when they're discriminated against because they want to play Alphaba in their school's production of Wicked, which could they even afford that? Can, can schools afford like productions of Wicked? Not good ones. Right. I just love that there's, I know I have so many LGBT teens. I have so many drama teens. I mean that in the sense of like drama department. Um, and there's a little big Venn diagram where they overlap. So I'm like, ah, I did all the Kermit flailing hands. I'm like, they're going to love this one. So I actually, we're going to discuss this one like next, next month. So I'm very excited to read it and discuss it with my teens that are going to like, I feel like I'm giving them catnip. I'm like, oh, I'm just like teasing it to them. Like, oh, you want to do this? Oh, you want this book? What if it combines all these things? I'm like the Oprah of books sometimes. I'm like, I love having that power trip moment of like, guess what? I got this book for you guys to read and keep. And they're like, ah. Anyway. No, I get it. I got really excited the other day because I was doing um, drawing club and one of the kids was talking about books that they read. And I didn't think this kid was much of a reader. And they were talking about this book that they read that I'm like, oh, that's been on my read list forever. How was it? And he like basically book talked it for me. Um, and it was one of like the LGBT books I wanted to read from like last year that I haven't gotten a chance to that I can't remember the name of now, but I can see the cover. Um, that is my person life. I could tell you where it is in the shelf. I'll tell you what the cover looks like. Not Do you have this book? It's green. The end. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah constantly go to my coworker. I'm like, no, because the cover was blue. And she was like, did you really just do that to me? And I'm like, yes, I did. There was like a whole year where I described Kaylin Rowan's White Rabbit. And she's like, I have no idea what book you're talking about. I'm like, but no, because it has a thing. And she's just like, just read the book. And I'm like, I can't remember what it is. 
And then I did, and I read it, and we talked about it in the book jam. We did. So we did. Should we talk about a question? Yes, actually, we do have a question that we would love to discuss, and the question is very short, and it's very open to interpretation. Fan fiction. How do you feel about it? Great. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to preface this because the reason why I brought this up when we were talking about it earlier, uh, there was a big Twitter dust up with like on like book Twitter got real angry because uh, somebody decided to come for like LGBT YA and like complained that they're basically just fan fiction Ooh. writers that got published and people mm. were like, "Wow, you're just salty because you haven't been published," or like no one's taking your work seriously. And like people got heated over this and I was just like shocked the hubris of someone not to expect that most writers who are published now wrote some type of fan fiction. So I think that's where everybody gets started with writing. Like you want to write your favorite stories. It was really interesting too, because uh, they were saying, Oh, but there's already other things in like the LGBT canon that you should be reading. And like somebody popped back with like, yeah, I don't really want to read Giovanni's room. I really just want to read something happy sometimes. <laughs> And I was just like, ooh, <laughs> yes, that is how I feel. So thoughts and opinions. Thought number one is clearly I need to read this Twitter thread, yeah. like, because I missed it. I missed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I was when this was happening on Instagram, I guess. So I missed the whole thing. But do we all remember Rainbow Rouse Fangirl? So when I read Fangirl, yeah. I was like, oh, this is exactly like me, except without the twin sister and without the problematic dad and without the love story, which basically means I was just a college teen who sat in my bed under the covers reading fanfic, trying not to fail out of college. I, and and it, it almost carries back to what we were talking about before, right? We're like, now we're starting to get, now we're starting to now. see more versions of ourselves or our stories in books but it, at it, there was a point where like you could only find what you like what you really wanted to find in fan fiction or if you wrote it because you couldn't find it anywhere and i don't understand why it's a problem i remember doing a book talk with marissa meyer with my teens right after cinder came out and she's and this is going to carry into our like pre-conversation before we started recording but she's like yeah i got started writing writing sailor moon fan fiction and what she didn't know was that my book club was also made up of the anime club so everyone lost their minds they were like oh, that's um so i like i don't there's a million and a half things to be mad about if, if all you can focus on right now is fanfic get over it fanfic's great i started reading fan fiction in college because i was a huge like buffy faith shipper but didn't realize what shipping was mm -hmm. at that point and i was like oh this story was written for me they're making out i'm very happy right now why can't i see this on screen and then of course like i've kind of like read fanfic on and off uh, and like, you know, AO3 is like the huge, like queer, mm -hmm. like deposit of just like nothing. But if you want a fanfic, you can find it. Like I'm a huge Korosami shipper and like, I'm a huge super core shipper. And it's like, if you're looking for something, someone has written it. I'm a huge X-Men fan. And there is someone that is reading the Marauder storyline right now. And they are, they are writing what isn't happening on the page. So like you read the comic and then you read the fanfic of like what you wanted to happen. It's like, yes, Kitty Pride and Emma Frost totally made out. I'm like, I thought that happened. I was getting some real gay vibes. Um, so it, it's so crazy and it's so great. But they'll also say like one of my favorite X-Men writers right now, actually two of them, Leah Williams and Vita Alia, uh, they both, I think, started writing fanfic, I want to say. Um, and like, honestly, if you've ever read the Uncanny X-Men, it's a huge superhero, like 
soap opera. And so a someone who is a seasoned fanfic writer is going to mm-hmm. be the best person to write it. And like Leah Williams is writing like the queerest X-Men book right now because she has X-Factor. And she's like taking one of the fan favorites everybody loves, Polaris, and is actually giving her like depth mm. and dimension and like personality. Because she's always been like a cool character with a cool character set and she looks cool because she's got green hair. But she doesn't always have like the best background of like having actual like personality defined. I will say, I forgot you were, you were X-Fan too. So I will say like Jean Grey is better uh, under the new reboot. The best story I've ever read with her was X-Men Red and they got canceled. I feel like it's too late. Like I, like, I feel like I can't go back on my Jean Grey opinions, but I do, I do like that people are trying to be like, let's make this character a character and not like a weepy headache redhead. Yes. Well, I feel like Scarlet Witch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yep. is basically Jean Grey, yeah. right? We don't actually know what her powers are, but they're very Jean Grayish. And I'm just like, she's a reality warper in the comics. Why can't we just have how? Okay, whatever. Anyway, I might have just reread House of M because I'm watching WandaVision. <gasps> Me too. Sorry. It's cool. Yeah. And I read Marauders because you recommended it. Uh, how'd you like it? I thought it was pretty good. So when you did say the whole Emma Frost, Kitty Pride thing, I got more mom vibes with what I felt like they wanted you to have somehow, weirdly enough. But then, yeah, I could totally see them shifting and like, making out uh yeah well also like under the new x-men rules like there's so many throuples like it's just they've really embraced the whole idea of like actually i was at a panel at a at FlameCon one year and leah williams was like someone was like who do you think is like like which x-men are actually oh. gay and leah williams was like all <laughs> yeah. of them it's like the world is always ending and you have superpowers i think you just stop caring about who you're sleeping with and it's just like yes we all have shared trauma we can all love each other and i was just like cool. yes <laughs> yes to that so yeah, so like it's it's kind of interesting because when you do that and you take the love triangles out of the mix, like we actually get some better creative storytelling, kind of what tying it back into what you're talking about with like some of the tropes of like we don't have to have this love triangle be like we can have a good resolution and people can actually still be people and friends afterwards. Yeah. Like it's like it doesn't have to be like this really aggressive hetero like this is how it is. I'm just like, no. There's there is a freedom and liberation of like throwing off that shackle. So anyway, Marissa, how do you feel about it? I started reading fanfic. Sailor Moon fanfic was my only fanfic of choice for all of high school. And I am super sorry to my dad's uh, printer for all the ink (laughs) I spent printing Sailor Moon pictures. Oh my God. Right. And you don't even know that you took up the one phone line. And I was like, oh my God. Anyway. So (laughs) there's one incident where like I spilled the Diet Dr. Pepper all over my dad's one word glove. Like the day before, apparently had this huge report, but you know, and I thought I had to get Q-tips out and I, yeah. So anyway, anywho. So I have memories of fanfic of me making Sailor Moon picture collages from printing out pictures of the library, printing out at home. And just, I mean, think fanfic is great because one of the hardest things, like when we do teen book discussion, is if we have a fantasy world and we talk about two different books, like half the kids read one and half read the other, I have to have Kim's people like explain, this is book A. All right, this is the world. Here's the rules. Here's what happened. And then the, and then the Mary book B people are like, what the actual, huh? And then Mary's people explain their book and they're like, what? And so in fantasy, it just, it's so common. It took us like 30 minutes to explain both books in a one hour discussion. It took forever. So having a fanfic, you can have a reader that comes in, you know, that at least either the characters or the world, you could change the world. Like I loved like Sailor Moon, like go back to the past of the millennium. Um, cool. Great. Who are the new characters? What are your twists? What are you doing? It's just something that the person's already with you. I already know the characters. So you can do more. How can you push it? What are you going to do with it? So 
it's like a great, awesome, like, you know, just foot up on the game just to be like, yeah, in our teen writers group and in general teen programs, we can't mention Twilight, but we often do mention Twilight <laughs> by Stephanie Meyer. We do just because it's such a reference for good or for bad. It just is so many things. It's like this, forget that, forget this, forget that. So really, you know, we're all borrowing and, and, and doing that. And if it helps you become a better writer and do something else, great. If you make a whole career off it, great. Like, I'm not here to like poo poo on what you're doing. No, I just want people to do what you love in a way that doesn't like hurt or impact somebody else's life or living. Yeah. I also think fanfic is like a really safe way to like start writing because usually the communities um, aren't trash. Uh, you hope. Because uh, I will say there's always one community that can go too far. Because um, that's the problem with fandom, right? We do have toxic fandom. But for the most part, and like on, on, mm, on AO3, for especially because uh, it's like so queer that everybody is pretty supportive. And so people will give you like good feedback on stuff too. Or they'll be like, oh, I like this, but like maybe think about this. So like it's a good way to like kind of like start learning how to take criticism to become a better writer too. Yes. Um, yes. Which I think is cool as opposed to like, you know, you let your best friend read it and they just like tear you to shreds because they don't understand that you just put your heart and soul into it. But like, you know, <laughs> other, other Sailor Moon fans will be like, Oh wow, this is the story I've always wanted to see, you know? And it's great. What's wild to me now is I found out from my library teens, they're really into Minecraft again. Okay. And that a- came back. Oh yeah. Well, think. So think- lost. No, well, think about it. Uh, it's from the perspective of, and of course, like I don't have anything to base this on. I'm just basing it on the thing that we see in the library all the time is that you have like an eighth grader that suddenly is like, I need to go back and read all of Percy Jackson. And like the parent mm-hmm. is pissed off about it and is like, no, they're le- reading at this Lexile level. They should be reading blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. your kid's about to go into high school. They're reading something that makes them feel safe that they mm-hmm. can depend on, right? I think Minecraft is doing the same thing for, the, for our teens. Okay. They, get, they want that safe space. Yeah. There's also, there's, I will say there's also some like big like YouTube and Twitch streamers too. They're writing yeah. fanfic about the streamers. Oh. Which I was just like, that's wild. <laughs> but hey, man, y'all do you. It's fine. Yo, this world is a beautiful place. Like this world that you're describing, not the whole world. The world that you're describing is a beautiful place. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we won't talk about like the trash fire that is Twitter, because uh, this is what led us to the whole conversation in the first place of someone being terrible on Twitter. The fact that so many people came out and were like, no. And then like you get all these great remembrances from other people of, like, oh, I used to read, you know, fandoms I hadn't even thought about in years. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was a thing. Or people talking about Animorphs. Can we talk about Animorph fan fiction? Yes. <laughs> Yes, which was not a thing for me because I missed the Animorphs. Um, but I understand it. I totally get it. Animorphs were my uh, everything. I was, I was, I, that was smack dab. My thank God, thank God, I was born when I was born because I, like, I was right there in Animorph world. I read the books. I watched the show that most people forget happened, but it did, and I watched the entire thing. Um, and I now have the graphic novel somewhere in this house somewhere because apparently they're trying to boost that again. Um, oh. Hundred percent. I didn't read any more fan fiction, but now I kind of want to go find some just to see what it looks like. Right. See. Check in on the world. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole set of fan fiction that is the last book of Harry Potter, but it's from the perspective of the kids that are at Hogwarts doing the Dumbledore's army thing. Which I'm like, there's so much Harry Potter fan, like anything that you have ever thought about in your life about Harry Potter. There are at least fifty. 15,000 
like fanfic on that one thing. It is such an intensely, magnanimously huge world. Can you tell that I have done the deep dive into Harry Potter fanfiction? Because I have. I have not, but I am totally appreciating that you have. Oh, I, I needed to know. Like, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it to be over. I didn't like the way that it ended. I was like, nope, we need a redo. In some of these ships, I don't ship. So I'm going to go find the ones that I do. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big world. It's a big world where if you search right, it won't let you down. Like, I'm actually real impressed. That's pretty solid. Did you see Puffs when it was in, when it was off Broadway? No. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Puffs was written from the perspective of like Harry Potter, but through the Hufflepuff's perspective. So Harry Potter's the villain because he killed, he got Cedric killed. And it goes through every year. And like the main character's name is Wayne. And he's this American kid living with like his uncle in Texas in a trailer. And then all of a sudden he gets a, he gets a letter and he's like, oh yeah, your parents are wizards. Bye. You're going to school. And like, they just send him to uh, Hogwarts and he's like not prepared for any of this. Um, so he's kind of like the foil for Harry Potter. And, but he gets put in the Hufflepuffs. And so it's like the puffs, the snakes, the braves and the smarts um, are the four houses. And it's very, very funny. Yeah, and I, I saw it twice. I saw it once, but it was so funny because the second time I saw it, they had like remember the old overhead projectors before we had like smart screens. Yep. Um, yeah. They have that like while you're like waiting for the show to start, and it's got like the graffiti on like a notebook of what it would look like in Hogwarts in like the nineties, which was adorable. But yeah, it's really funny. You should totally check it out. It's it's that, and that's like totally the kind of thing where like you know you know that was born out of fanfic oh, like, 100%. and the love of it and it gave us this great thing so yeah they had like was it their their um their whole tagline was like puffs we're third or nothing because <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're never first and they're never second <laughs> no is is very good well thanks for joining us Hey, gal, did y'all know that we have a Twitter? We usually talk about it at the beginning of the show, but I was so excited that Kim P joined us, I forgot to plug it. So our Twitter is the Book Jam one on Twitter. Hit us up, ask us questions. Maybe we'll send you a sticker if you ask real nice. Kim will be getting a sticker. Yes. <laughs> so excited. Kim, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Book Jam. You just got jammed. Mm.